for the reading of the word. Matthew 6, 1 through 18. Watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. Pray like this. Our father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And do not let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. And when you fast, don't make it obvious, as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled, so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face, then no one will notice that you are fasting, except your father, who knows what you do in private, and your father, who sees everything, will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Michelle. You guys go ahead and have a seat. Find that passage, Matthew chapter 6. We are starting a, a new chapter in the Gospel of Matthew after I think it's 13 or 14 weeks. We're on to chapter 6, and, um, and I'm excited to be back up here. Thank you, Jeff, for doing such a great job of finishing off chapter 5. I'm going to get to chapter 6 as well as I'm talking. I want to uh, start just by asking our first talking points question. And that question is just sort of what generates our conversation. So the question I wanted to start our time with to generate that conversation is, how does what we do and say show us and others the condition of our hearts? How does what we do or say show us or others the condition of our hearts? So I'm asking. We're, uh, I see a lot of faces I haven't seen in a while or ever. And so uh, we are a participation church so I, I encourage feedback as we uh, go along. It's not just during our time of music or our time of prayer, but it's also during our time in the Word. And so um, I'm asking, so, what, so how, does, how does what we do or say show people our hearts? So out of the mouth, the heart speaks. Matt, or Jesus says that multiple times, actually. Good. Well, how else? By the way you treat them. Good. Good. By the way you treat them. So you're treating like how you treat people shows that, that, like, what's going on on the inside, right? 
Oh, good. That's actually a really good way, a good, like to turn it the other direction and go, yeah, like what, what's, what's lacking in our own hearts often is what's coming out of our mouths. I've seen, we, you see that a lot, especially as we, as we learn to tune our ears to listen to hearts, you start realizing, like, why is this person saying these things? And it's because they're, they're, they're lacking something inside of them. Good. Any others? <laughs> the open mouth insert foot disease, yeah, there's a little bit of that too. So, so um, as, as Adam started us off with, this is one of the places Jesus says it. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus says, The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure of his heart produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, to Scott's point, so the mouth speaks. I would say also so the hand does, so the foot walks. It's just a reflection of our, our inner being. Our heart really is very much about, um, it's, it's sort of like the inner soul in the Bible. It's the mind, the will, and the emotion. So when, when Jesus is talking about, so from your heart comes the overflow of your mouth, it's like, like this is the inner Doug is what's coming out of my mouth when I'm just engaging with people, or it's what I'm doing, or what I'm seeing, or what I'm not doing, or what I ought to be doing. And those things are all an overflow of frankly just my soul condition and Jesus has always been after the heart like the the heart is the issue that he's after it's the only thing we have that we can offer to him so that's why he's after it like this is the key to the whole point so here's so here's that if, if if the heart is what Christ is after the question starts to become for us is what has your heart Right, like ultimately, what has your heart? Like, what are you living for? Who are you living for? What is consuming your time, your talent, your treasure, all those kinds of things? So, last week, Jeff led us into um, the end of chapter five in, in, in a message we called "Living Right," and uh, today, our, and, and today we're going to look at letting go, and then next week we're going to look at looking up. But all of these things, as we're transitioning in Matthew, we don't want to leave the Beatitudes behind. So what's happening in chapters like 5, or the, the second half of chapter 5, and then chapter 6 and 7, is Jesus is pulling forward what he taught us in the upside-down kingdom of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. All of those things is that it's that otherworldly way of living and now what he's doing in these in these chapters like chapter six is he's saying here's what otherworldliness looks like it looks like living right and it looks like letting go of the things of this world and we'll see a little bit of that this week and then also next week as well so the question i'm we're going to look at today is how do we live this open-handed life how do you live so if letting go is part of the christian experience how do we live open-handedly Right, and so um, I, I was in, in my classes that I'm teaching at Arizona Christian. Uh, we were, to, were one of the classes we're going through. One of the, part of that class is we're going through a book, one of Tozer's books called the, um, the Pursuit of God. And in chapter two of that book, in the Pursuit of God, he has a, um, a the chapter is called the Blessedness of Possessing Nothing, and he uses Abraham as an example of, of a person who possessed nothing. And he's talking about how Abraham left the land he was in to go to a new land, and then he, and then specifically about putting Isaac on the altar. And then he gets to this part in the book, and he says, I have said that Abraham possessed nothing, but was not this poor man rich? Because from an earthly perspective, Abraham was loaded. Everything he owned was still his to enjoy. He had everything, but he possessed nothing. So think about that for a minute. He had everything, but he possessed nothing. And then Tozer goes on to say, there is the spiritual secret. Secret. There is the sweet theology of the heart, which can be learned only in the school of renunciation. 
Books on systematic theology overlook this, but the wise one will understand. So God puts situations in our lives to test our hearts, not for his sake, because he knows our heart, but for ours. He puts situations in Abraham's life to test Abraham so Abraham could see that he was being faithful, that, that he possessed nothing, even though he had everything. At the testing place, there will be not a dozen choices for us, but only two, Tozer goes on to say. The one, the one God is calling us to, and all the alternatives. But our whole future will be conditioned by the choice we make. Everything is safe which we commit to him, and nothing is really safe which is not so committed. I want you to think about that for a minute while I ask a couple of volunteers to come up here. So I'm hoping faith. Would you guys be willing to come up here real quick? You don't have to do anything, but just, just come up here. Would you guys be okay with that? I didn't ask beforehand, so this is so. Thank you guys. So, so hope and faith. Now, now, so come on up here real quick. Be be quick about it. So you're okay. I'm not. I promise I won't bite. I'm very friendly. Come over here so that people can see you better. So, I, and 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 you're gonna have to tell me which one's which. Sorry. High faith and hope. Nice to see. You. Okay, so we'll start. So hope. We'll start with you since you're the one that's closest to us. So I have here one dollar. Would you like the one dollar? It's okay, it's okay. Sure, okay, just so, so, so how about what you want? Now, so, so I just gave her a dollar. No, 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 hang on to it. It's okay. Okay, it's all right. So now, I have something better than a $1 bill. But in order for you to get the better, you have to give me back the $1. Would you be willing to do that? Okay, so you give me that back, and I have here a $10 bill. Right, now, I'll, I'll give you another example. So just so, because I don't want, so I don't want faith to feel left, it's right, it's faith, right? Yeah. I don't want faith to feel too left out. You guys have to share. So I have here a sucker. I know it's not quite 10 bucks, but it's, hey, I, I don't have that much money. Um, I have something in here a little better than a sucker, but in order to get that, you have to, uh, you have to give me the sucker in order to get what I have. All right, see how much quicker she was? <laughs> well, but, but why is that? Because she's, she's smart. She saw what happened in the first transaction, and she's like, Hey, one gets me 10, so a sucker gets me a whole box of candy, and you can take them both back there. So thank you very much. You guys can go back and sit down. But yeah, well, well done, and yes, you get to keep the $10. But guys, do, do you see the, the, the point? Hopefully you're not missing the bigger picture. What we tend to do, and these sweet girls are, are, are like what we tend to do is grab a hold of what we have. And cling to it so tightly. And what God's word tells us over and over and over again, not sometimes in this life, but for sure in the next, he's got something above and beyond anything we could ask or imagine. But we're so caught up in clinging tightly to what we have that we won't let go of it to get what he has, which is so much better. It's the box of Mike and Ike's. Not just one little sucker. It's a $10 bill instead of a dollar. Like he's got a hundredfold what, what we could possibly let go of here. But, our, but, but we have to learn to live open-handedly. So how do we do that? And that's what we're going to look at today. We have to learn to be quietly generous. We have to learn to be selflessly prayerful. And we have to learn to be joyfully deprived. 
So what's going to happen in this section is Jesus is going to show us three examples of what it looks like to live open-handed, to live a life that's completely caught up in him and his kingdom. Because that's what he's been talking about. And at the start of the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes were him going, I'm flipping this whole thing upside down, and, and I'm going to tell you about how my kingdom is so much different and better than the kingdom that we're consumed in down here. So let's look at our first thing. Where he says, how do we live an open-handed life? First, we have to be quietly generous. So look at verse 1 of chapter 6. Verse 1 of chapter 6. Quietly generous. It says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order for, them, for it to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now what he's going to do, so that's the opening statement. That's really his point. His point is, be, be careful your motivation for living right. Which is what, sorry, excuse me, which is what Jeff taught on last week. Be careful of your motivation for living right. Because if you're doing it to be seen by other people, it's for nothing. Now, he's got, now what he's going to do is he's going to give us three examples. Giving, prayer, and fasting as just a way of, of demonstrating this main point in verse 1. So the first one is in giving. So he says, thus, when you give to the needy, um, sound no trumpet before you, before you as the hypocrites do in their synagogues. Now here's what's interesting. In the time of Jesus, what had happened is the, the synagogues were a relatively new thing in Judaism. Meaning that from the time of the temple or the tabernacle and the temple, the tabernacle and the temple were destroyed. They were eventually rebuilt. But during that time that there was no temple, they started building synagogues. Well what happened is these, now all of a sudden every town had a local synagogue. But the synagogue had to compete with the, with the temple giving. So the, so the rabbis of the synagogues had to find ways of getting people to not only give to God, which is what they were supposed to be doing, to the temple, but they, to give to their synagogue. So they came up with an ingenious system. If you gave a certain amount, if you gave a lot, they would actually walk the streets with you, blowing the trumpet, drawing attention. Like Jesus isn't just speaking in hyperbole. They actually did this. They would walk around blowing trumpets going, look at how we've given. Now, I, I'm going to resist the urge to go off on a soapbox about churches that talk about make, it, like make a big deal about giving. Uh, just so you know, like I have no idea who gives what in this church on purpose. Because we, that's, we, we have a box in the back. And the only time we ever talk about money here is when it comes up. The point is, he's saying, his point is not whether you should give or not. That's a given. What? That, that's a given. But, but he's saying, when you give, don't do it to be showy. So let's keep going. He says, the, um, the, then if we keep going, he says, um, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Well, what was their reward? It was public recognition. But then he says, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So he's saying, like, now think about giving in the context of more than money. So because, for example, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul says this, for you know that the grace of the Lord Jesus, you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sake he became poor. So he's using these words like rich and poor that have more to do. I mean, Jesus wasn't financially rich. It was in the sense of like there's more to riches than finances is what he's saying here. So that you may not have your poverty. So that, so that in, your, in his poverty you might become rich. Keep your finger here in Matthew. And let's just the only other place I'm going to have you turn today is go to the right of where we are. Go past the, all the other gospels, past Acts, past Romans. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. You're going to read about this in detail this week, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but you'll get to chew on it again in your daily readings this week. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul gives us this, he presses into this idea 
of giving, but, but doing so in a way that is not one, not just money. It could be time, talent, and treasure, but also it's the heart issue that matters. That's the point Jesus is making. If you're giving of your time, or I mean, if, if the reason the people, if the reason Kenzie Price is up here playing keys is for, the, for, the, for God is so that she gets noticed by us, then she has gotten the reward she's going to get. Right now, I know that sweet sister's heart, and that's not her heart, but that's the point. The point is that what we give, time, talent, or treasure, it's the heart posture that matters. Because, back to my main point, what is Jesus always after? He's always after our heart. He doesn't need your money. Right? The kingdom of God does not need your money. God is not going, man, if these people don't start writing checks, we're doomed. He owns it all already. Right? He doesn't even need your talent. He's the one that's given it to you. Our job is just to give it back. So look at uh, chapter 9, verse 6. He says, so, this, he says so, here, so here's the point. So this is the point of giving. Whoever sows sparingly, so whoever gives sparingly, will reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. It's a heart issue. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. So not because you feel guilty about it or, or because like, you just feel like you have to. Because God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound. Now we're going to pick that point up at the end because the all great, like we don't, if we really understood the magnitude of what is in store for us because that's what grace is, abundantly beyond all we could ask or think, we would, we would not be so stingy with our time, talent, and treasure towards God. He says, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So it's not just money, it's, it's are you serving, are you giving, are you leading, are you, use, are you exercising your giftedness? This isn't just a, a, a thing about money. Go back to Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to finish up this first point in verse 4. He says, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Again, that's part of what led us years ago to not even passing a plate. Because there's, there, there's sort of a sense of, hey, we just want, we, I don't want to know who's giving what. Certain people have to know who's giving what because we have, we have to keep the books. But I don't, I don't see them. I don't have access to them. And very few people do on purpose because we want to honor this idea of people who give in secret. Because here's the tendency, guys. Here's part of why I don't know who gives what. Because it's not because of you. It's because of me. I know my heart. I know that I would be tempted to go, well, this person gives more than this person, so I should show preference to that person. That's just how eh, my heart can be. And my guess is, so can yours. And so I don't want to know. I don't want that temptation. But guys, the reason that is true is because, is, is because of what we talk about here a lot. My, my idol is me and the things that I worship. There's a lot of I speak going on in Doug's head. So if, if, you, if, if in your time, talent, and treasure, you find giving, in your giving, if you find yourself saying I a lot, look at what I gave to the church financially. Look at this special gift that I gave. Or what about, look at how I served the church. Look at how, you know, I just met with this person, and man, I saved their marriage. Guys, like, like seriously, like if, if, if I speak, and, and, and I, know, I know we're all sitting here shaking our heads, and I also know that, that most of us would never say that out loud, but I speak fills us up. It's part of how the enemy gets us going, I deserve this little area of sin in my life, because look at what I've done. 
So here's, my, here's the next talking points question. How does I speak show up in your life? And I'm not asking for input. Here's what I am asking you to do. When you came in here today, you were given a white card. And as our response time, we're not going to have communion like we normally would on a Sunday. But I'm going to ask you um, during the song of response to take the things that you need to give to the Lord or just seek his help in, in getting victory in and take them and put them on our prayer wall during our song of response today at the end of the message. So, guys, but I want, I want to give you a minute and say, so how does I speak? This idea of look at what I have done, look at like what... How does it, maybe subconsciously, how is it showing itself in your life? If, if, if thinking about it in the context of the church is too much, think about it in the context of the person you're sitting next to. And then write something down. Go ahead. We are all, at some level, we are all scorekeepers. And the reason we are all scorekeepers in our relationships and, and, and here's what the church has given to me and here's what I've given to the church and here's, like, it's this back and forth thing that we all tend to do. And the reason for that is because we are, like, it's just our own selfish hearts. It's the same, it's the same thing. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Like Adam and Eve were, were, were keeping score. And because the enemy had convinced them that somehow God was withholding something from them, they went, you know what, We'd, I deserve this. And now all of a sudden, away they go. And that's what we see happen over and over and over again. So the question, so, so just if you, if you do struggle sometimes with just this idea of being quietly generous, of being, of, you know, being able to... Being able to do good things and not say a word to anybody about what you have done. Here's what I would encourage you to do. Memorize Proverbs 27.2. Let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. And that should be true in your service, in your, in your community, in your school, in your place of work, in your church, and frankly in your home. Right? Like if, if, you're, if you're reminding everybody in your home every time you did the dishes... Right? That's, you're losing the blessing. You're, what Jesus said, you have just gotten your reward in full. Right? And so the way we, we used to talk about that a lot at our house was, oh, you just lost the blessing because you pointed out what you just did. Okay, so let's keep going. How do we live in this open-handed way? So one, we have to be quietly generous. Right? Like, like be generous with your time, talent, and treasure, but don't make a big deal out of it. The second thing he's going to point out is you have to be selflessly prayerful. So let's pick it up in verse 5. He says, And when you pray, so it's not if, but when, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. So there's that heart motive again. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. So their reward is public affirmation. Oh, look what an amazing prayer that guy is. I can't pray like that guy, so I'm not even going to try. So that's, that's ultimately what he's talking about. But then he says, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. So there's three things I'm just going to point out. These are not the only, so as Jesus is talking about prayer here, he's not saying this is the only way to pray. And, I'll, and, and, and that will come out today, but also throughout this, this, this series that we're in, that, that the, the way he talks about praying here is not, here's the only way you should pray, but there, here's an example of how you could pray in light of his whole point, which is, which is, don't put on a show, be humble, be meek, 
Like that's all, back to the Beatitudes. So the first thing is pray secretly. He says, so you go into your father's house and, and you are, are, so you go into your closet and you pray and your father who sees in secret will reward you. So pray secretly. Now, here's the question. Is public prayer then bad? How do we know? I and mean, we just spent 20 minutes praying publicly. Caitlin prayed. I prayed. We, how do we know it's not bad to pray publicly? I heard, I heard Scott say two or three are gathered together. Okay, good. That's one. How else do we know that it's, not, it's, that it's okay to pray publicly? Who prayed publicly? Who? Jesus did. The disciples all did. Peter prays publicly multiple times in the book of Acts. Paul prays publicly. He writes prayers that we're supposed to read publicly. So this, I, so, so, but there, I know people that say, you know what, the, the, when I pray, I don't pray out loud because this is the verse I go to because I'm trying to be obedient to Christ. Now, in that moment, that's certainly okay. But to say that, that the, the principle he's teaching here is that we only ever pray privately would not be a biblical principle. Does that make sense? So that's the first part. So pray secretly. The second thing he's going to point out is pray sincerely. Look at verse 7. He says, and when you pray, do not heap empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard by their many words. And don't be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask. Guys, again, he wants your heart. So he's saying what they used to do is they would pray a lot. They'd pray really long prayers, and they would pray um, repeated prayers. Now, here's the irony, Before, I, in case I forget to mention this. Here's the irony. He's, he just said, don't just mindlessly repeat prayers. Now, what he's about to do is go through what we call the Lord's Prayer. And what is one of the most mindlessly repeated prayers in the Bible? The Lord's Prayer, which is right after he gets done saying, don't do that. Like, that's how quickly we slip. Right? But, but he's saying, don't mindlessly pray. And, and guys, so, so part of what we're trying to do like in the, um, in the class that we're in, in the training center on shepherding, is we start every class uh, in the Word, and then we say, okay, now turn to your neighbor and ask them the question, how can I pray for you right now? And they've got 30 seconds to say, 30 seconds, like literally, not a, not a minute and 30, they have 30 seconds to say, here's what I need prayer for. And then the other person prays, and they've got 30 seconds to pray back, pray a prayer. Part of why we do, and then we switch. And the other person asks, how can I pray for you? And we do it in reverse, 30 seconds either way. Part of that is because we're trying, we do get into this habit of thinking that somehow longer prayers are better prayers. And there are certainly times where the Holy Spirit is moving on your heart to ha- and you have a lot to say. There's also a whole lot of times where what's happening is you're just saying the same thing over and over and over again. Because somehow you feel like if all I did was take the mic or if all I did was come up here and pray, Father, what we lack, give us. What I can't see, show us. What I don't know, teach us. What I am not yet, make us. Amen. Somehow that's not enough. But here's the reality. Part of why we do this like 30-second prayer thing is God knows the details. So if you're in your D group and you're having your prayer request time and somebody's taking five minutes, stop them. I'm not kidding. Say, hey, that's great, but let's just get to the request. Because God knows the details. He doesn't need you to articulate all those. Either in your, now it's different than just sitting down with a brother or sister and like you just need to get this stuff off your chest. I'm talking about like in a group setting. God knows the details. And oh, by the way, he knows what you need before you even pray it. So it's not about, man, if I don't fill in all the details, God's not going to know how to answer. God already has an answer. He just wants your heart. So pray sincerely. Last one is uh, pray, and this is, the again, this is not every time you pray. This is, in this case, part of what Jesus is modeling for us is we pray systematically. 
pray systematically. So this is where we, this is the, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Is how many trans, uh, uh, trans are, um, what's that? translations say it, um, which is good. And then, and, then, and then some of the early manuscripts say, and for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And the, 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 the um, publishers of the ESV chose to leave that part out because some of the manuscripts don't have it. That's okay. But the point is, what the Lord's Prayer is showing us is he's saying, guys, I want you, I, I, he's not saying praise. I, although praying through the Lord's Prayer is great. I do that probably every third or fourth day of the week. Right, I just I go as part of my prayer time, and and there are some great books on how to pray through the Lord's Prayer. John MacArthur's book on, on praying through the Lord's Prayer is phenomenal. I mean, it was written like thirty years ago, and it's it, it was it really expanded my prayer life. But the point is, when he says pray like this, our Father in heaven, he's saying pr- like pray relationally. He's your Father, who art in heaven. He says so. Keep your perspective. Like, it's, I, I know who my God is. He's my father, relationally, and I know where he is. He's, he's in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done. He's saying pray kingdom-mindedly. Like, pray, pray for his kingdom, not this kingdom. And then he says, give us this day our daily bread. So it's, it's this idea of, like, pray for God's provision. It's not just about food. It's about, like, what, what are, like I, I know that what God knows what you need. Just pray it. Then he says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That's just a prayer of confession. And he's going to double down on that here in just a minute. And then it's, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And that's this idea of dependence. Like, we can't fight the enemy on our own. So, there's, so, so he's giving us different cues to pray about, but he's not saying pray just, in fact, he just said, don't pray just a rote prayer of memorization because it's meaningless. I do want to point out something, though, and this, and, and this I, I loved how the Holy Spirit took our prayer time even today because l- look at the pronouns of, of the prayer. Our Father. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. Verse 12, forgive us our debts for we, as we forgive our debtors. And verse 13, and lead us not to temptation, but deliver us. What's key about those pronouns? They're plural. It's the, the you is a plural you. It's y'all. He's like, he's praying for everybody. Right? And by the way, y'all is a real thing. When I was in Dallas last weekend, oh my goodness, the number of y'alls like that, they are not kidding. Like they, they cannot say you all. They can't. It's not possible. I'm not even sure they can say you. It's just everything's y'all. Right? And it's, it's, I don't know how they spell it, but I think it's one word, no, no apostrophe. It's just y'all. But anyway, so, but the point is, there's a, it's part of why I had um, Brian read Daniel's prayer, which you're going to read again this week in your daily readings as our opening, as our calling passages, because what does Daniel do in his prayer? He, he includes himself. He says, We have sinned. It's not, it's, he's not praying they, those people need to repent. And he's also not praying, I, I need your help. He's, now, there are times for both. There are times to pray for an unbeliever to come to repentance. There are also times to pray, Lord, I need your help. Right? I do believe, help my unbelief. But, but most of our prayers, according to what Jesus is saying here, is most of our prayers should be inclusive. Like we should be including the, the, the y'alls. We should be praying for, so how, much of our, so, so how much of your prayer life is about other things outside of your own life? 
How much of our prayer time is about other things outside of our own church? Right? Again, I'm not asking, I'm just saying, like, be thinking through that because I think that is hugely convicting. So if I had to summarize, so what does he really mean by praying is be clear, be concise, and be kingdom-minded. If there are three things that your prayer life ought to be, it ought to be, ought to be clear. Sometimes, and clarity is often better when it's, when it's short. Be concise and be kingdom-minded. Pray about things that really matter for, for eternity, not just for tomorrow. Though you can give us today our daily bread. He is saying it's okay to pray for provision here and now, but keep the focus primarily on the future. And then he, then he finishes up with these two verses that almost seem like an add-on, and it's because of the topic of them. He says in verse 14 and 15, Forget, For if you forgive your, their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others' trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So it's this idea, like, like forgiveness seems to be a big deal to Jesus. Why? Why is forgiveness such a huge deal to Jesus that he would include that at the end of this thing about praying? He was tortured for forgiveness. Good. Like, for our forgiveness. So, but, but the fact that they tortured him shows, like, are, we, are, is, are human beings a forgiving people generally? We're not. That's why he doubles down on it over and over and over again. What is our motivation for forgiveness as Christians? That he's forgiven us. That's it. Like that, that we should put a period on the end of that sentence, and that ought to be enough. And I will tell you right now, for me, practically, it's just not too often. So that leads us to our last talking points question. And, I want, and again, I want you to write some things down on your card, not share them out loud. What kinds of things get in the way of, forgive, of your forgiveness? Like what kinds of things get in the way of you being willing? This, these would be great things for you to put on that card. And in just a couple of minutes, we're going to go to our time of response and put them on that prayer wall. And ask God to help you. Like ask Jesus, I, I, I know I have been forgiven. Now help me be forgiving. Right? Do you remember the, the story I read a couple weeks ago about, um, help me out, Corey Ten Boom, and about how like, the, this guard that had been in the prison camp came up to her, and she's like, she wanted, like, she was like, I, I know I'm supposed to shake his hand, but I, and I just got done teaching on forgiveness, and I can't make myself do it, and she's praying, Lord, help me forgive him. Right, and like that's often what we have to do as believers. So write a few things down, whether it be now or during the song of response uh, here in just a minute. So last, so last thing is, so how, so how do we live this open-handed life? One, we have to be quietly generous. We have to be selflessly prayerful. And the last thing is, and isn't it great news? We have to be joyfully deprived. We have to consider it all joy when things aren't going our way. James chapter one. Right, joyfully deprived. Now, where do I get that? Well, look at what you can remember. Remember, he's making a point of saying, don't make a big deal about putting on a show about how holy you are in your giving, in your praying, and then he says, in your fasting. He's like, let it go. Like, it's, it's all for God anyway. So being joyfully deprived, look at verse 16. He says, and when you fast, do not look gloomily like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that, that so that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. There that is again. Now, I want to stop there. because he, Well, he says it again in verse 17. Just like he started verse 16. But when you fast. What's implied in but when you fast? That we fast. He's not saying if you fast. He's saying when you fast. So do you. 
Again, I'm not asking, we'll get there to like some of the things that we can do, but he's saying, like, he's saying it's, it's part of the deal to fast, but just do it in a way, he says, but just do it, but do it in a way that when, um, he says, that your fasting may be seen by, don't do it in a way that your fasting may be seen by others, but your father who sees in secret, and when your father sees in secret, he will reward you. So what is fasting? I'm asking, what is fasting? Doing without? Specifically, like in the case of doing, not eating, that's biblically almost always what it was, like in, the, in Bible times. It's, it's withholding something, but is that all fasting is? Doing without and not eating? Because there are lots of diets that will tell you to do that. Right? What do they call that? The, um, intermittent fasting. That's huge right now. But I mean, does, it, does, does intermittent fasting mean anything to God? Well, it could, but what would be the key? The heart. What are you doing during the intermittent fasting time? What's the point of fasting? Why, what do we fast for? Is it just to get away from stuff? To draw nearer to God. It's replacement. It's you fast so that you can turn your mind's attention and heart's affection onto God in those times that you normally would be doing that other stuff. So if it's food and you're hungry, when you feel that hunger pain, that reminds you to turn your mind's attention and heart's affection on God. What is that called? When we turn our mind's attention and heart's affection on God, what are we doing? Worshiping. That is the definition of worship. So fasting is an act of worship. It's just this idea of going, okay, so, so what are some things we can fast from besides food? Social media. That, we just got one off the table, right? So we, so, uh, social media. Take, dare to take Facebook off of your phone for a while. Hey, here's a scary one. Like, like don't, don't take a picture of your next meal and post it on Instagram. That's crazy talk. But guys, I'm telling you what, now I, I could say, like I have students in my room, like in my classes, 50 students in a class called Dwelling in God's Presence, where the concept of them being unplugged for 15 minutes, let alone the whole class period, scares them to death. They genuinely don't know what they would do. Now, now I shake my head like this and I go, but here's the thing. You know what a lot of recent studies are showing? You know who's almost as bad as the kids? The parents. It's it, the, like the, one of the number one things between like the, the, the early teens, 13 to 15 year olds, is their big, one of their biggest complaints is I can't get my parents off their phone long enough to have a conversation with me. That should just break our hearts. But guys, just, just but, but we say that, and we go, but just try it. Guys, just try, try for an hour to just set your phone aside. Just try it and, and not be asleep. Right? Try, try getting off of uh, your favorite social media app just for a day, a week, a month. Now, not just to stop, not just to get away from those things, back to the point, but because in that moment when you're like, normally what I would do is I check my Facebook feed, what I'm going to do in this moment is I'm going to choose to set my mind's attention and heart's affection on God. I'm going to read the word, I'm going to pray, sing, I'm going to listen to a praise song, uh, whatever it would be. But guys, that's the point that he's trying to make here. Is so, so why, guys, why is fasting so hard? And we're going to wrap it up with this. Why is fasting so hard? Why don't we do it? We have a lust issue. We're idolaters. We have... Yeah, we have, it's, guys, we are the girl in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I want an Oompa Loompa now. 
Like, that's us. You want an Oompa Loompa now, Tom? Okay. Yeah. We don't want, that's a great, thank you for tying that all the way back. We don't want to give back the dollar. We don't want to put down, thank you, Tom. I'll I'll pay you 10 bucks later. We don't want to, actually, was it Faith or Hope that got the 10? I can't remember. It was Faith, right? I want, uh, she'll give you 10 bucks later. Um, But, guys, we don't want to put down the dollar. We don't want to put down the phone to pick up the beauty that is Christ. Why? Because we, here's the answer. Here's the, here's the only answer that it can possibly be. We don't really see Jesus as better. We don't. Guys, uh, Paul Tripp, who's, who wrote the, the book that we're using in the, in the shepherding class, he wrote a book that's called Awe. And it's, it's a little book. He wrote it a few years ago. And, it's, and, he says, and what he says is, you know what, guys, we don't have a porn problem, gentlemen. We, and it's not just, I shouldn't say that, because there's, there's like 40% of all women are looking at porn now, too, which is just crazy. So, so, Guys, we don't have a porn problem. We have an awe problem. We don't have an alcohol problem. We have an awe problem. We don't have a divorce problem. We have an awe problem. And he goes through just like chapter by chapter just kind of going, the problem is we've lost our awe of God. So so we don't really see him as better. Fasting is one of those things that will help train you, that will help discipline you to to just force you into that, okay, I'm going to fight to choose to see Jesus is better in this moment. And, and, when, and when you realize just how hard it is to have that stuff taken away from you, we have to realize, man, like, be, it's because back to what I, we are idol worshipers. Right? We are all idol worshipers. So it brings us all the way. So the music team's going to come up, and as, as they do, guys, it takes us right back to where we started. Right? Like, ultimately, it's where we're going to pick it up next week at the rest of chapter 6 in, in, in Matthew, but it's also this idea of how do we live this open-handed life? How did what, what did it mean when Abraham had everything and possessed nothing? Here's what it meant. It meant that, that God finally, after 25 years, gives him the son of promise, Isaac. And some years later, God says to him, Hey, that thing you waited our whole relationship for, Abraham, the thing that you prize more than anything else in the world, I want you to put him on an altar and kill him. And Abraham was ready to do it. Why? Abraham had Isaac, but he didn't possess Isaac. He said, you know what? God's the one that gave me Isaac. And if God gave me Isaac once and made this promise to me, then he will, in some miraculous way, restore that promise. Because what, was, what we're going to see next week, what we're going to see throughout this series, what we're going to see as we go even into the, our holiday season, guys, is, is it all comes, do we trust God? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Do we, do we believe that he is a, a relational God? Do we believe that he is Holy. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Like, are, are we so busy building our kingdom we don't even think about his? Th- that's the battle. It's a, it is a battle for kingdom. And we are either going to grab a hold of ours, this one, or we're going to live this way and go, it's not mine anyway. My family's not mine. My wife is not mine. This church is not mine. Your job is not yours. It's all his. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for 
your grace. I thank you that your grace does promise to give us above and beyond all we could ask or think. We can, I, even as I say those words, all we could ask or imagine, we can't even imagine what that is. And yet we get so caught up, as, as C.S. Lewis said, we get caught up making mud pies on the seashore instead of, instead of sailing above the waves into the heavenlies. Like, like you, have, you have in store for us, not there and then, but also here and now, a beauty, a majesty, a richness that is, that is beyond anything we deserve and anything this world has to offer. And, we, and yet we chase after the things of this world. So Lord, I pray for those in this room right now, that, that like, like myself, that find ourselves too often chasing the things of this world. Whether that be financial gain or security, whether that be relationship or likes on social media, whether that be sports or entertainment, whatever those things are that we are constantly chasing, Lord, I pray that you would help us to fast from them. And not tell a soul. Because you see. And Lord, I do pray for those in this room or those that are hearing my voice on a recording even at some point in the future. Lord, I pray that if, if they have not yet open-handedly given their life to you, that's the most important thing. That until we do that, everything else is just white knuckle. We're trying to do this in our own strength. And, and, and that is not living in the grace of God. So Lord, I do pray that you would open hearts so that their hand, so they would open their hands and, and just receive what you want to give them, their salvation. Lord, the, the truth is that you have prepared a table before us in the presence of our enemies, in the presence of this world. You have prepared a table for us. Our cup overflows, is what David says. Let us live as people who realize that our cup is overflowing that your goodness and mercy is pursuing us all the days of our lives, and that we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And all God's people said, amen. So as the, as the music team is singing this song, I just want to encourage you um, to take a minute, and that's about all you'll have, to finish uh, filling out some stuff on your card. And if you feel led to give it to the Lord, just put it on one of the paper clips up there on the prayer wall, um, and, just, and then trust him. Trust him to answer it. Like he knows. You don't have to have a lot of words. It could be one word. 